0: Listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally.
1: Hi, my name is Ben Pham, Managing Director in the Equity Research Department at BMO Capital Markets. Also joining us are my partners. Daniel Giovanni, who covers U.S. pipelines and MLPs, and also Jim Zalker covering U.S. utilities. Among the three of us, we cover over a trillion in market capitalization. We thought we'd do a podcast to highlight and discuss key emerging trends for our respective industries in a post-COVID-19 world, and really taking a step back here from the near-term noise that we're all experiencing from the pandemic. And specifically, we wanted to touch on topics including... Uh, potential strategic repositioning, MA potential, ESG implications, also our thoughts on long-term growth rates and where the sectors should trade coming out of this pandemic. Let me start off with the Canadian universe of pipelines and utilities with respect to strategic repositioning. Certainly this pandemic has driven a, a sharp divide between the haves and have-nots between the sector and And the conversation about resiliency is is key for the buy-side investors that we speak to. And we're noticing a couple of things that are standing out on on the haves. One is diversification, the cash flows. The second is scale. And the third is the percent of contracted assets. Ultimately, we think companies on the have-nots that have not achieved or have a high percentage of of these attributes will will seek to, to gain them coming out of, of this this crisis that we're seeing. I also do see a review of supply chain, and whether it's employees or equipment, and ultimately this could potentially drive higher costs on the supply chain side of things. I wanted to pass it over to Jim on the US utilities side, and also wondering what your thoughts are, Jim, on strategic reposition within
2: the names that you cover. Hey, Ben, thank you so much. Uh, in terms of strategic repositioning, we see probably more tweaks than we see any real wholesale changes. Uh, specifically, we would expect companies and, and their commissions to likely add further enhanced bad debt or COVID-related cost tracking or regulatory mechanisms to their arsenal. And we could also see some accelerated move towards formula rate adoption and or multi-rate uh, year constructs to add clarity to the revenue side of the cost of service rate making in terms of power specific companies like Exelon that have a significant exposure to uh, commercial and industrial power demand in their competitive retail business, we could actually see a change in the contract structure that allows them to collect fixed costs or other load specific costs they are not able to pass on due to demand destruction to limit the negative margin impacts that they've incurred in this recent downturn. And then finally, We think it'd be, overall, it would be prudent for utilities to have a slightly thicker credit buffer defined by adjusted FFO to debt and likely added liquidity facility access. Some of this will definitely depend on the final regulatory outcomes after the crisis sort of works through the regulatory process. But much of my universe, the credit metrics have been pegged to the downside ratings thresholds for most credit ratings giving the companies minimal uh, cushion. So while we would note that most of our companies have not had issues securing additional liquidity or issuing debt, we would think that longer term, if this becomes a more prevalent issue, we could actually see the group look to have a slightly uh, better liquidity profile.
1: And uh, Danilo, over to you, U.S. uh, Midstream, also your your thoughts on strategy and, and where do you see the group going? Yes, uh, Thank
3: you, Ben. Repositioning in the current environment, in my opinion, is highly unlikely. Um, However, we do think or we do expect integration and scale to be key themes, uh, certainly keys to surviving the current downturn. Uh, We do think that we, we will see in the sector a clear distinction between the midstream halves, those that already boast integrated platforms scale Diversification, et cetera, uh, versus the have-nots, uh, which are more so the one-trick ponies that don't necessarily have the integrated value chain. And certainly, those that don't have that integration, that scale, and diversity of cash flows are likely to face headwinds over the next couple of years until we have some normality here. But in terms of there being this sort of massive strategic repositioning, I don't think that will happen because a lot of the midstream companies in the U.S. were already positioning for a lower growth environment. Certainly, COVID has exacerbated uh, that growth trajectory, but I don't necessarily see them uh, having any meaningful uh, diversification or rather repositioning uh, going forward. The theme and plan was already in place uh, prior to COVID uh, happening.
1: So, on to M&A on the second topic, and certainly that's been a source of growth for the industry, and this extent of deal flow will wax and wane, of course post 2015-16 commodity downturn, we did see a wave of consolidation within the Canadian mainstream sector and also the renewable names as well. And we saw a wave of of Canadian utilities heading uh, south of the border to the U.S. to to pick up some of the U.S. utilities that that Jim covers. And ultimately, when we think about uh, coming out of this pandemic on M&A, we do see further M&A activity in the renewable sector highly fragmented still. There's strong demand for renewable, renewable assets uh, in general. And ultimately, when you look at the pension plan uh, demand that we've seen, and it's actually even happening during this pandemic that there's deal flow that is still happening. We also see potential consolidation in the Canadian midstream sector, especially for companies with Alberta-centric assets where growth will slow dramatically, where we don't see a lot of activity. At least from our standpoint, is the utility names. Uh, we, don't, we just don't see a ton of cross border large scale activity happening. Again, the names we cover are full on organic growth, and there's just really no compelling strategic reason to do big MA on the utility side. And, and maybe uh, going back to, to you, Daniil, again, because I know you have talked about MA quite a bit, uh, particularly early this, this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on? M&A potential, and, and also would love your thoughts on another important theme, is it on ESG side of things.
3: So M&A and sector consolidation has been a midstream theme really since the 2016 downturn, but it hasn't really played out to the level that many expected. We've seen some sector rationalization already happening, but it's been mostly MLP roll-ups or PE, uh, private equity buying, midstream companies. And acquisitions within the sector itself has been pretty limited the exception of maybe Ambridge buying Spectra, TransCanada buying Columbia, and Energy Transfer buying SEM Group. Uh, th- those would be the transactions that come to mind. So going back to the 2016 downturn, most management teams thought that the sector was going to go through a V-shaped recovery, and therefore they refrained from engaging in, in M&A, especially as sellers. Uh, there was a belief that the energy boom or the energy market was going to return. So we don't think that that's the prevalent belief today and while we don't think that M&A is going to be a big theme near-term over the next 12 to 18 months, longer term, I think that there will be appetite for M&A, especially as some of these teams or companies rather that don't have the scale, the integration and diversification continue to be challenged in the sort of era of lower midstream growth. So long-term M&A will definitely be a key theme, near-term, we don't think will be as pronounced as many may expect. With respect to ESG, That was definitely a pretty resonant theme with investors in 2019. And we, in fact, published a piece on ESG from a U.S. midstream perspective last fall that gained quite a bit of attention. Going forward, I think that ESG will be a structural theme for the sector. But with the fires that the midstream sector has to sort of deal with today, given COVID, right, demand destruction and supply disruptions, I think that the focus is going to be on companies just managing those fires right now with ESG for the near term, at least being in the in the, in the the back burner. So longer term, ESG will still definitely be a key theme. But uh, over the next few months, I think the focus will be on the existential threats to the U.S. midstream sector and making sure that those are adequately addressed.
1: And Jim, let's, let's get you in the conversation as well. Do you anticipate your, your coverage list to, to get smaller over time and and similar to the new, is, is the ESG conversation also not as robust as as you've, you've, you've seen uh, pre-COVID-19. Yeah, thanks, Ben.
2: MA has already popped back up in the US utilities, primarily due to some activist situations in both Ebergy as well as CenterPoint. But we think that these are gonna be most likely isolated. In terms of just COVID-specific, Uh, activity, we think that it's very, very difficult right now on the political side um, as the narrative for a combination would have to be carefully balanced relative to the benefits of both the shareholders and the ratepayers. It may be very, very too soon to ask the commissions to undertake a review of a merger as they're working through the rate impacts of the forward regulatory treatment for COVID-related costs intermediate to longer term we can definitely see the benefits um, of a balanced merger proposal as it creates o m costs that actually not only allows uh, more investment both on the reliability as well sort of grid resiliency but we also think that it allows companies to further decarbonize their generation portfolios which has been a theme that's been growing over the last two years and literally exploded at the end of last year. So from an ESG perspective, we think that horse is already sort of out of the barn and we wouldn't expect any material change in the ESG profiles or the decarbonization movement within the utility industry due to the the recent pandemic. Much of the replacement of carbon intensive supply has been done without materially impacting existing rates as the precipitous decline in the levelized cost of energy for wind is now below both coal and gas, and solar's levelized cost, especially when you attach uh, battery storage to it, is declining equally as fast, making renewables, increasing reliable environment replacements for current central station fossil fuels. So we would see this continue to be a theme for the next three to five years and it's actually part of the underlying growth rate that's been supporting my group in the US.
1: When you look at the infrastructure companies that Bell through us cover, we do think they provide an attractive total return vehicle, especially in this low bond yield environment. And the combination of two will change based on the cycle of the industry that we're in. Uh, For sure, COVID-19 has has taken a bite of near-term growth. Some of this growth will come back, Uh, some unfortunately I won't, and, and with that, there are some, some valuation implications uh, to think about. On the pipeline growth side, uh, for sure the days of eight to 10% growth are behind us. That's been a trend we've been seeing over the last few years. We think at best we're seeing 5% growth. In addition to that though, we, we think a portion of this growth uh, will be driven by other sources, particularly cost efficiencies share buybacks and debt reductions. and so the source of the growth will also be different post-COVID than pre-COVID. On the utility side, using rate base as a proxy, we see growth rates exceeding 5% over the next few years. Key trends we've highlighted in the past include aging infrastructure. We have decarbonization that that Jim has, has previously mentioned, and then maybe at some point, electric vehicles, battery storage to be big themes driving growth for the utility sector. And this 5% plus is above historical norms. On post-COVID-19 valuations side of things, I'd answer this in two ways. Is, is A, we do think utilities will and should trade at a premium to pipelines on a variety of, of differences such as growth rates, ESG differences, and the low interest rate in environment. And the other the uh, second thing we, we wanted to highlight is, is with respect to utilities. Uh, we do think they, sh- they should trade at a premium to the long-term average. Current valuations, utility PEs are 17, 18 times, the range is 13 at 22, The average is 17. Uh, we see no reason why Canadian utilities should not trade at the higher enough valuation range. On the pipeline side of things, uh, we do think the group will trade below term averages of 19 times PE, the range is 12 to 26. Groups trading at 15 times PE, maybe there's a little bit of upside here, but we don't anticipate it heading towards long-term averages. Another way to, to put valuations into context is on an EV to EBITDA basis. On the pipeline names, uh, we think 10 to 12 times is an appropriate valuation for the group. That compares to 12 to 14 uh, uh, pre-COVID-19. So Maybe to you, Jim, and uh, uh, your thoughts on growth rates in the U.S. utility sector and, and how do you think about the valuation post-COVID-19?
2: Thanks again, Ben. We see the utility growth rates not changing materially, even as the result of the, the, the COVID crisis. Right now, we're looking at growth rates between 4 and 6% um, with dividends growth in a very, very similar manner. So when you consider a three to three and a half percent current yield, we look at a, an eight to 10% total return, which we think is very attractive relative to the broader market. Uh, in, the, in the very near term, we could see utility management reprioritizing some of their capital projects, um, especially grid digitalization or AMI um, in a post COVID era to facilitate more sort of remote operation or monitoring or maintenance. But we wouldn't see any sort of material change in the company's three to five-year capital programs, primarily due to the fact that they're uh, reliability-based and they do ultimately lower the cost to the ultimate consumer. While domestic interest rates are now below 70 basis points, we think history has shown that US commissions have actually moved fairly slowly and methodically to reduce their regulated returns given the extraordinary circumstances and artificial monetary policy that has caused this downward movement so even though we could see some minor tweaking to these we think it'd be more attached to the adoption of a lower risk business model for things like formula rates and or rate decoupling as opposed to the company the commissions lowering rates specifically due to the 10 year treasury on a going forward basis Uh, Where this group should trade has been the million dollar question and probably one of the most common questions we get. We are trying to look at the group right now on a more normalized yield basis, given we're in sort of uncharted territory in terms of uh, global interest rates. And we look to BMO's rate strategist forecast of 1.25 to 1.5 percent on the 10 year, which is based on a W shaped recovery in the broader uh, economic backdrop. When we look at a normalized beta of about 0.5 to 0.55, our DDM model would suggest a recovery in utility for PEs into the 18 and to 21 times range, relative to the current 16.3 times range, which offers you about a 14 to 30% upside, which we think is very realistic. And we think as the economy reopens and likely reopens uh, on a more uneven basis, people will more appreciate the utility uh, stability in their earnings and the slower rate of change overall for the group.
1: Okay, let's pass over to uh, Daniil and uh, your thoughts, uh, Daniil, on U.S. midstream. How is that compared to the Canadian side I've mentioned, 5% or low growth? And also on, on valuations is, is 10 to
3: 12 times also what you're thinking as well? That's exactly right. So, midstream growth is largely driven by upstream activity, as you well know, and going into 2020, there were already expectations for muted growth as EMPs were primarily focused on our austere plans and growth within cash flow. With the advent of COVID, uh, the EMPs have obviously accelerated the decline in upstream activity and by extension, midstream growth capex has obviously declined, uh, certainly over the next two to three years. So I do think that the outlook for for growth in the sector is going to be muted. Uh, That was already the expectation going to this year. It's been exacerbated because of COVID. But long-term I see growth being a little bit more challenged because again, we don't need the the plumbing that we once required in the US uh, about 10 years ago. With respect to returns for the sector, I do think that returns will remain contingent on the ability for companies to leverage competitive advantages, such as scale and integration, that I mentioned before. That said, I do think that returns in basins in which midstream players are in abundance, like the Permian, those returns are gonna remain compressed, especially along portions of the midstream value chain that are overbuilt, such as crude oil. Uh, certainly, there are select basins in the US, such as the Williston, for instance, where returns may still be attractive uh, due to the lack of meaningful competitive threats. So what does this mean for how the second trades going forward? Well, uh, just like Jim said, this is a difficult uh, question for us to answer as well. I will say that before COVID, we believed that the era of modest growth uh, would basically revert EBITDA multiples to mid-cycle levels that we last saw between 2005 and 2010, which was, was prior to the shale revolution. Uh, for context, back then, the multiples for highly contracted pipeline assets were roughly 10 times EBITDA. We do believe that going forward, the sector will sort of converge to that 10 times EBITDA level. However, today, midstream companies are trading in the seven to eight times EBITDA range. But as we work out through the COVID situation here, I do think that there will be a convergence of the multiples to that 10 times level going forward. But again, I will underscore that that would be more so for assets that are highly contracted, uh, whereas the assets that have more commodity price exposure Gas flow volatility will probably trade below 10 times longer term.
1: Thanks for your thoughts, Daniel. Also, thank you, uh, Jim, as well. That's a wrap for this podcast, which discuss uh, key emerging trends across North American pipelines, utilities, renewables in the post-COVID-19 world. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to myself, Daniel, or Jim. Thanks again for listening and, and look forward to catching up with everyone in person, hopefully sooner than later.
0: Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmo.capitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure.